Welcome to the Wealthstream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to The Wealth Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. Good afternoon, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. We are recording this on a Friday and I'm looking forward to the weekend. <laughs> it's Labor Day weekend. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we have a long weekend. Yeah, that's bonus day. Uh, you got any plans? Just stuck in COVID world, so I don't know mm-hmm. if it'll be any different. It'll just be, uh, no, not, not, nothing formal. Nothing formal. Yeah, me no, neither really. We're, so We're in our little pod. Exactly. All right. What are we talking today? I'm kind of in the dark about our, our concept today. What, what are we talking about? Well, I just recently met with a client uh, in the construction industry, the, the husband and wife, very successful entrepreneurial people. We have this, we, we always think about uh, what money means to people. And for them, money represents the ability to be a family steward, you know, to protect and provide for their family. And it also means their ability to be what we call independent a tool to achieve financial independence, to work towards the point where work is optional. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they've, they've built a really successful business. They focus a great deal on their employees, creating jobs, and they've also created a tremendous value for their family long-term. And as a result, though, like many clients, it, they're very complicated. So there's business succession issues, and a couple kids are in the business, and a few of the kids are not. And they have a lot of philanthropic goals and they have several kids and some have partners and some don't. And, you know, one is estranged from the family and they operate in multiple states. They have multiple properties. And the point is they have a lot of complicated moving parts and they, we were working on an estate plan and they asked me, you know, well, we have this, we built this great team that's helping them do the planning, helping them carry it forward to the, eventually to their succession plan and uh, mm-hmm. for their estate plan. But what happens to everything, all these great plans that we set up post-mortem, you know, when they pass on? And, and, and it occurred to me because I had had similar conversations or questions from other clients that I should probably talk about who to select as your executor, who's going to be there to help make sure that these plans you've created, these complicated moving parts actually get implemented per your wishes. So That's what I thought we'd talk about today. I was thinking back in, way back in June of 2019, I did a podcast, I think it was podcast 11, where we talked about downsizing and simplifying. And the reality is it's so hard to do that. And especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're just very complicated. And some of my clients just like being complicated. So I think the, an executor and who you select as an executor is, is critical to make sure your plans are implemented. And uh, so I thought I'd talk about that today. Okay, fantastic. So let me ask you this. Is choosing this executor, is that more important for if you pass unexpectedly before all the plans have come to fruition with a succession plan? Or are we talking that an executor is also very important after you've worked through the succession plan and and you still need to have an executor? That's a great question. As while you're going through the planning process, when things aren't buttoned down, when uh, some of your goals are not clearly defined and clearly input into the plans, a 
a professional who might be your executor, like a CPA attorney or other professional mm-hmm. like that, is probably even more important. Or if it's a family member, you know, getting the team involved. Hopefully, once you've got your plan in place, you're still very complicated, but you've laid it out and made it easier. In which case, family members can do it, and so you might typically change it. So I, I do see people changing the executor peri- periodically. Okay. All right. Well, that was a great answer to the question because I, I really just didn't know. So where do you want to start today with, with the beginning of this? So I, I think just in thinking of my clients and thinking of the listeners, as uncomfortable as it is to think about, um, hopefully, you know, you and I, Eric, and all my clients, it's going to be way far down the road, um, but eventually we're all going to pass. Mm-hmm. So the greatest gift I've seen, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your beneficiaries is by having things all planned and buttoned up. And I've, we've, our office, our team work typically has one or two open estates at any point in time. We're not attorneys. We're typically not uh, estate administrators, but we're facilitating all the other professionals. And it's likely just because I'm getting older and some of my clients are getting older. But I've seen you know, instances where the planning hasn't been done and how hard it is for the beneficiaries, for your kids, for the, you know, for the charities, for your heirs. So I, I, I think it's a really important issue that we, we, we address. And so one of the things I thought I'd cover first is what is an executor? Because I think a lot of times people don't even, don't understand really what the role is and, and why it's so important. Yeah. I've always thought of an executor as somebody who basically interprets the will and, and the executor of the state. They, they kind of make the wishes come to fruition of, of whoever's passed away. But from what you're saying with all the business stuff, it could be much, much more complicated than that. Yeah, you're you're spot on. You're absolutely right. They are the CEO. We call it kind of the CEO of the estate. But they're based, They're there to execute or make sure that the, the will, the trust, the, all the instructions are properly executed. And in many, many normal examples or simple examples, you might have a home, checking, savings, CD, different bank accounts, maybe a retirement account, possibly an investment portfolio, personal effects, and, and you, you know, the deceased resides in one state, in which case it's it's not that complicated and it's pretty straightforward and a family member can be the executor, but just reach out to professionals as they need them. But like you just said, uh, and what I see mostly with our business clients, because it's just a much more complicated Typically, there's multiple states, business succession. A lot of times, there's art, jewelry, cars. I think it just requires a different level of skill sets that people need to think about. So, but that's really what they do. There, you have set, you've you've identified what you want to happen. You've you've documented in your estate documents, and now you just need to pick the right person to make sure that your wishes are you know going to be implemented. All right. That, that seems like a pretty monumental task because you want to get the right person. And there's a couple things that I would consider. It's got to be somebody I trust, right? It's got to be somebody I trust implicitly, but at the same time, it has to be somebody that I trust and can, can do the job, right? I mean, I mean, I trust some of my relatives, uh, I mean, immensely. However, looking at the, the, the scale of the job that they're going to have to do, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could pick one of them. I know, and and oftentimes what I see is that it's stage of life, right? So I'll just use Nancy and I as, as an example. When we were first married, and the estate plan is very simple. You, you buy a house, you you know you start a retirement account, et cetera. But then when we started having children, we had the, the question, okay, I've got life insurance. I've got 
starting to, to build some assets. Um, who can we list as the executor of the estate? Separately, who do we want as guardian for the kids? Mm-hmm. Um, so we set up a plan initially, and then probably five, six years down the road, uh, as the kids were getting a little bit older, we, we actually changed the executor uh, just because we, we had a change of heart as far as you know who it would be. And then it got to a point where when uh, my oldest was getting into high school, we thought we have five children and we're like, boy, who would really want five kids? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I think my kids are perfect. You know, they're they're great. But oh, yeah. the, the reality is uh, if you don't have five kids and all of a sudden you have five kids, boy, that, that's got to be a, a tremendous um, adjustment. So we actually changed again, just kind of rethinking it through. Years later, when our oldest Katie was in college, and she just told us this story recently, I had forgotten, but apparently one time when Nancy and I were ready to travel, we pulled her aside and we said, oh, by the way, we're changing, uh, putting you in charge. And we really didn't explain very well what it meant. Mm. So, you know, it's 15 years later, she still t- tells that story about how we really scared her a lot, you know, because we, were, we probably should have spent a lot more time explaining what the role was. But the good news, as you mentioned, Eric, is that you can really you can choose from virtually anyone, mm-hmm. uh, and like you said, the experience you know you can do a family member, especially if it's pretty straightforward. If it gets more complicated, oftentimes we see clients selecting one of their professionals, like the attorney. Attorneys are a big one. Um, sometimes bankers, they're also commonly used. But you could also use a, a trusted family member that can reach out when they need. The, the attorney, the CPA, the wealth manager, the trust officer, et cetera. And, and that typically is what we recommend as the first place to go. Because, you know, one of the things about an executor is the documents will be hopefully very well written. So the instructions are very specific. But typically your family is going to have a better feel because they know you better for really what your legacy, what your thought was behind the whole process I've seen where if the, if there's not a trusted family member, if they don't really have a, a professional like an attorney that, that, that they want to work with or can really rely on that they've reached out to what they call corporate trustees, which might be a bank, let's say, or a trust company. And those work. Um, they are more expensive. Uh, long term, the problem I think can be, and from what I've seen, is that you have these trust officers that oftentimes just don't understand long term where the money came from, what the the intent was for the deceased, the, the family. Um, there's just a separation of like what the motivation was and what the legacy was. It's not as personal, that's all. But oftentimes, like if you have a case where it's a second or third marriage or one or two of the kids are, really doesn't have the capacity for some reason to manage money themselves, you're looking to protect them, the, the, the beneficiaries, a corporate trustee can make, can make good sense. So it is something to consider. Yeah, I mean, that... That's a fantastic resource. So, you know, the reason why I think the the executor is so important is because there are some things, there's problems that can happen. They don't often happen. I think in the 30 plus years I've done this, I've probably seen maybe half a dozen times where there's issues. And oftentimes, like one example would be, I have a, there were a situation years ago, the client came to us after the person had passed, so I didn't really know the parents, but the, the, the parents felt like the son couldn't handle the money, mm-hmm. and they wanted to protect him, so they put his half of the money into a trust, and then they named his sister as trustee 
of of his money, and they gave the sister the money outright. Mm. So it it inherently created conflicts initially, but I think more importantly, it it created a kind of a lifetime of of problems between the two of them because every month, you know, he wants income, and the communication is all about money and cash flow and income and how it's invested and just inherently creates problems. So yeah, that's just a, an example of, I guess sometimes we feel like we get paid to think of really bad things, but we see bad things. That's just one example of withholding inheritances, which can, can be one of the issues that we see and that is created with some of these problems. Gotcha. Another one that I've seen, but not too often, thankfully, is what we call the breach of fiduciary obligation. You know, you're supposed to make the, the executor should be maintaining all the proper records in the simplest state. Uh, we had a client recently pass away. More than likely, everything will be done before the end of the year. A final tax return will be prepared. And really, everything should be taken care of before the end of the year, but it's not a complicated estate. But the one of the sons is listed as the executor for the benefit of both of them, he and his brother. And there's just a lot of record keeping that we help facilitate. But I have seen in, in situations where there's adversarial relationship between siblings where there isn't the record keeping, there isn't the sharing of information, there's not the transparency. And it, I just need to stress that when you name somebody as executor, they have a fiduciary obligation for the mm-hmm. benefit of all the beneficiaries. And it's a legal benef- legal obligation, so they really have to be careful for that. Yeah, why is that? Because what happens is if the fiduciary rules are established such that if one of my one of my kids is the executor and then the other four are beneficiaries, if they perceive something wrong, they have an immediate recourse to go to the courts or to, you know, file a claim, um, and that could be very expensive. I mean, that's that's good news because the process is in place for somebody who has a complaint somewhere to go, but. I always try and stress that as if you're going to be the executor and it's complicated, you really need to reach out to professionals and rely on the CPAs and attorneys, I think, um, to make sure that you don't have any exposure to risk. I guess I guess that's my point. Yeah, got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then the other one, which for, fortunately we've not seen can create a problem, is when there's literally stealing from the estate. Now, I, I have seen instances where we call it, you know, first in, first out, you know, so... Sometimes who's ever in that house first might find things and artwork, uh, some some paintings they wanted to get, uh, safe deposit box. So oftentimes, hmm. what happens is people go in together. There's usually not an issue like that, but when there, when you know for sure there's going to be a conflict because there's just a conflict between siblings or beneficiaries, as an executor, you really have to have the personality to control that situation. So that's that's one of the considerations I think that. I'll talk about when we talk about, you know, how to select your executor. All right. Um, I was actually just <laughs> thinking about a movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I don't know if you saw it, Eric, but. Oh, years ago, know, yeah. At the end, the grail night where he says, um, you know, you can choose, but choose wisely. And uh-huh. Points to yep. somebody in the corner and says, because he chose poorly. That's right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not that dramatic. Because you can change. Oh come on, <laughs> the executor, but it's super expensive, and you're good. So you just need to spend a lot of time and energy on choosing wisely up front. I think that that's my point. Yeah, or, no. you know, go watch that movie anyway. Yeah, and, I, and again, we, we've talked about this on previous podcasts where I don't think it's any parents' 
desire to cause turmoil in their children's life, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, and you want to select it so it's going to be it's going to be hard enough already because they're losing parents, uh, but it, you don't want to make it an ongoing issue like your your previous example. Yeah. So when you're going through the process of trying to think of who to get or who to pick as your executor, there's just a couple things that I think are important. Um, number one. You had mentioned it earlier. You have to pick someone you trust, but also who is willing and able to do the job. So certainly trust is an issue. And if it's a family member, you'd hope that if you're selecting one of your kids or a brother, a sister, a sibling, that you've, you can trust them. But the, there's things like um, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of signatures. There's a lot of bank banking that has to be done. And I know that with technology, some of that stuff is easier, but... You need to have somebody who, first of all, has the time to do it. So if somebody, if if I'm living in Chicago and I have siblings in New York, that's going to be a problem if I'm trying to name them as executor because there's a lot of things they have to do where they have to be closer to Chicago to do it. Plus, if they're working full time and they don't really have the time to do it, that's going to create issues. So when I'm thinking of who's our executor, I just want to make sure it's somebody who has the ability to do it, also has the time to do it, and then has as many of the skill sets that are needed. Um, because if they don't have all the skill sets, they can reach out and get them, you know, by hiring professionals. But mm-hmm. time is really important, and I think distance, from what I've seen, is also very helpful. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't know. Do they build things into or for the executor uh, for situations like that? Maybe. If they pick an executor that's out of state, can they build in some travel costs and things so they can travel back and forth and do the things that need to be done? Yeah, so typically a an executor can get paid, can get compensated for the work they do. I would say it's probably ha- happens maybe half the time, but definitely when there's travel required, it's important. So these days, a lot of things can be done via DocuSign and a lot mm-hmm. of things can be done electronically. But if there are... If there's artwork, if there's cars, if there are collectibles, uh, you typically have to be there or deliver or travel to, to get those evaluated and the appraisals and things like that. So the things like that make it more complicated. And then when, as it relates to businesses and business succession, you know, you want to be close to the business because a lot of the meetings, a lot of the records and the account, you yeah. know, the documents are going to be there. Um, but yes, you definitely can get reimbursed for travel and things like that. That's good. I mean, you don't want to, again, you don't want to make it a burden on whoever you're choosing. Exactly. And then the other part, too, in terms of willing and able to do the job, especially in situations where it's a second marriage, maybe there's there's children from the first marriage and maybe as a result of somebody passing or just getting divorced, you just need to be aware that there's just natural inherent conflicts between the the children of maybe the original marriage plus the, the new spouse. Mm-hmm. And, and you need, so you want to try and have some independence or something between them so that it doesn't ruin their personal relationship also. So that's just things like that. Yeah. So again, when you're, when you're picking an executor, the second thing I think you, need, you should consider is making sure that the executor knows exactly what you want to happen. So you have a will, you have a trust, you have all the required documents that you've prepared. You probably have a succession plan for your business. Oftentimes we will ask clients to prepare formal letters uh, or other documents. I've had clients prepare videos where they could document their their wishes 
in terms of how they so they can really clarify and make mm-hmm. sure that whoever's implementing the plan doesn't have any ambiguity. And and I think letters that go along with the the plan documents, um, and I've seen a lot of attorneys recommend that. It really goes a long way towards helping. It also helps, I think, uh, after postmortem when after someone's passed, when the documents are being shared with family, that they can. I think it really helps uh, the grieving process too, from what I've seen, where people really understand more, you know, what they were thinking. Because oftentimes, if the parents treat somebody in their mind equally, but not they don't get the same amounts, let's say, so fairly versus equally, mm-hmm. or some get rest- some get their money restricted, others don't. If there's not a real explanation as to why the background, the thought process, it, it can create it create ill will long term. Whereas at least with some information that you're providing, because off- we try to get clients to talk to their heirs and beneficiaries, their kids um, while they're alive. But oftentimes people don't want to do that. So at mm-hmm. the very least, it'd be nice to have some documentation so that people can see, you know, after they're gone. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're having to sit your son down or your daughter down and say, I love you and this, these are my plans for you. However, it's going to be a bit restricted or it's going to be in the trust and it's going to be doled out over, you know, a 10, 20 year period uh, because I'm, I'm just concerned about your money choices right now. Oh boy, that can start a fight. I mean, that can start all sorts of drama and, oh, you don't trust me. And then there's just this a lot of tension and being able to say that, like you said, after the fact or postmortem, however you want to put it, it, it's still an explanation. They still may not like it, but they certainly can't argue with you. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, there's nobody, can, yeah, nobody exactly. to argue with, you know, they so you get the last the word. That's screen, a beautiful right? thing. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the other, I guess the final key consideration that I always talk to clients about is they have to be around to do the job, meaning you do need to consider the executor's age and health. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you want to make sure that if I'm in my 50s right now and I'm naming an executor, I'd like that to, to have comfort that that executor will be there when, when I'm gone. So if I'm picking my older brother you know, or my older sister who's you know, five or ten years older, even though I trust them, even though they might have the skill sets, at the very least I want to list a successor in case they recuse themselves, they can't do it, or they're not around when it comes time. So I, you just need to think about that. You want to make sure that you've got these plans. You want to make sure they're implemented. You just want to make sure that the person you select is good, it will be there based on their health and their age. So what did you call that? You said a, a successor? Uh, yes. I, I should have brought that up too. So typically in these documents, you'll name a executor. You also name guardians if you have children, but you name the executor and then you'll name a successor. So in my case, I have Nancy and I, we have my oldest daughter. I don't know if I should, actually everyone knows it. So we have my oldest daughter, Katie, as executor, but we list a couple of the other kids as successors in the event Katie, for whatever reason, can't do it, Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't want to do it. You always need to have that lined up um, in the documents if possible. Yeah. I mean, it. Who knows? Your, your successor could be a good friend of yours, and y'all go to uh, Mexico on vacation, and shark gets y'all. Whatever. <laughs> if all or of you are you gone, get a, you get in a fight on the way back, and now they're not oh, friends yeah. anymore, right? That's right. That's right. The uh, that leaves you a backup plan for sure. Okay, I got it now. Thank you. Exactly. So, I think that's what I really wanted to cover initially regarding 
first of all, the importance of a successor, why, why it's really an executor, why it's so important, what they do, and really some of the key variables you want to consider when you're selecting one. I also be, just wanted to cover one other thing, which is, you know, oftentimes when we're doing estate planning with clients, when we're talking about the, the executors, the guardians, et cetera, many clients also want to do what we call uh, pulling strings from the grave. So in the simplest estate plan, you have, let's say, three kids. In the event of we're gone, divide it by three, pay it out, boom, it's over. So the executor mm-hmm. doesn't have a, a lot to do. But in more complicated estate plans, especially when clients want to uh, have strings attached in the document, like if you're under age 35, you can get one-third of the distribution, and then every five or ten years later, you get another third, and then you finally get the remainder, you know, ten years later. So attorneys will oftentimes call this, you know, three chances to blow it. That's one way. But the other way is sometimes people really like to get complicated Well, they'll say, you can receive income distributions, or if you achieve, for example, a certain level of education, or you have to be employed. When you have restrictions like that on the money, when you have strings for the beneficiaries, it inherently is going to make the executor's job much more difficult. I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm just just be aware that, as you know, Eric, and you, you work with a lot of people, some people completely avoid confrontation at all costs. Some people just embrace confrontation, and everyone, mm-hmm. most people are in the middle. You are inherently going to create some conflict with the strings. Again, not a bad thing, but you just need to make sure who you're selecting. And this is why oftentimes in these cases, they might select a corporate trustee, a corporate executor, just so that there's no personal animosity generated by some of the things that can happen. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Absolutely. One of my thoughts goes back to a conversation you and I had previously on on another podcast. If you've got uh, maybe one of your children uh, suffers from alcoholism or some Mm -hmm. drug dependence, a string may be that you have to be sober for a year before you're allowed to access money. Is that correct? Yeah. Or like uh, we just had a recent case where a situation where the client said, you know, for these kids, I want them, they can just have the money outright. I trust them. I think they're going to take care of themselves, be Mm -hmm. good with the money. For my one child, there is an issue where they think there might be, I don't want to say drug abuse, but just issues like that. And in that case, they wanted to have another sibling basically act as trustee for the benefit of this child. And one of the things we recommend is, look, if you're, if you're looking to provide income for that child, but not necessarily a lump sum of cash that could potentially harm them, put it in the document where you, you go out to an insurance company at your death, the, the trustee does, you, the one you select, the executor, and purchase a annuity. Purchase mm-hmm. an immediate annuity that pays X amount of dollars per month or per year to that child, and then you eliminate any sort of conflict between the trustee and that child. So there's different ways to get around making relationships difficult as a result of things you're trying to accomplish with your estate plan, meaning to protect people, but oftentimes creating conflict. Yeah, absolutely. I got one. I have one more question for you before we sure. end this. Can your executor be in your will, or is there a conflict there? Because if it's, let's say it's a good family friend or a relative that you are having to do this, they have the skill, they have the ability, they have the time, they're healthy enough, can they be in your will also? Yeah, that's that's actually typical. So 
oftentimes when you, if you have, I'm just using an example, four, three children, you select one of the children to be the executor. That one child as the executor has a fiduciary obligation to administer the estate for the benefit of all three. So he or she absolutely can be a beneficiary, but they they still have to follow that fiduciary obligation. And it, it, it makes it more complicated, not more complicated, but it makes it it's very typical, I should say. That that's that's actually more the standard than than not. Hmm. Gotcha. I would just say that maybe as as a parent, people should think about not giving that child more than the rest, so it doesn't <laughs> exactly. draw questions of wait a second, you're the executor, and all of a sudden you get you get the bulk of it. Um, yeah, yes. that might cause some serious problems. Or so. when you're drafting the documents, you want to avoid saying to my favorite, her executor, <laughs> and that other one gets you know whatever's left over. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, yeah. yeah, bad verbiage, bad verbiage. Exactly. All right, Tim, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I would say proper language, yes, that's correct. Yes, yeah, very important, very important. Tim, thank you so much for your time. You answered a lot of my questions. I appreciate it. Kind of put you on the spot there for a few of them, uh, but it's fascinating to me. I, I don't have this document drafted up yet. I don't actually need one. Well, I would say I do need one, uh, but not quite to the extent of most of your clients. Uh, it's it's very very important for inheritance purposes for sure, and the business side as well. That that's that's a, a huge huge thing. So thank you so much for this very informational podcast today. Oh, thank you. And also, just if you have one already, I would say check it. You know, revisit it because, like in my case, time frame time, stage of life is everything, and your goals change. So revisit yep. it. I would say periodically. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we need to be doing. Tim, again, this has been an incredibly informative podcast. I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm hoping a lot of listeners are learning as much as I am. And now they've got lots of questions like I still do because uh, it's so it can be very complicated, right? I mean, that's that's the nature of this this specific topic. If people do have questions and they want to reach out to you, how do they get a hold of you? So they could reach me. My direct line is 219-246-5370. They can email me at tscanell at hightoweradvisors.com. But they could also find us on the website at Hightower Great Lakes where there's additional resources, including a checklist and a blog about this same topic. Awesome. Tim, again, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. We're always appreciated, Eric. Thank you. You bet. And the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the WellStream Podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream Podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. 